You know, as a youth leader, to see all those kids up front, this is fantastic. <laughs> Love to see that. Love to see our youth program in the future years. It's looking great. <clears throat> People of Bethel, have you ever been ashamed of Christ? Now, about every one of us is thinking, no way, I could never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. But is that really the complete truth? I remember when I was in school, I had a paper route in downtown Calgary. And at that point, they used to have all the area papers would come to one big depot. And they would, they would come anywhere between about 3.30 till as late as 5, 5.30 some days. So all we could do is sit around, talk, joke, generally fool around while we waited. And I can vividly recall at least once being asked where I attended school. And suddenly I developed a mumble as I said, Calgary Christian School, or more like Calgary School. I was so wanted, I so wanted to be included with the group I was willing to eliminate, or at least hide, what set me apart. So I guess I would be one who grudgingly must admit that I was one who wasn't telling the complete truth when I said I would never be ashamed of Christ. But even more so when I admit that was not the only time that I had developed a mumble. This morning we're going to visit another person who, like me, was not very open initially about being a Christ follower. In fact, he slinked around in the dark to meet Jesus. Please open your Bibles and join with me in the reading of John 3. <clears throat> Before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts so that we may receive the message you have for us. Lord, we know from Scripture that your word is living, your word is active. And as we open it this morning, we pray it may cut through all the thoughts that are coming between us and you today. May your word challenge us, and change us to be the men and women that you have called us to be. May your word and you flow from us this coming week as well. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> John 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, 
Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still... You peoples do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of our Lord. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> As we begin chapter 3, we are introduced to the man Nicodemus, a member of or counted in as a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means to separate. Originally, they were a group who abhorred the adulterous words and deeds of the Greeks. And even under persecution, refused to abandon their faith. As with many things, many ideals, this group started off with correct philosophy and righteous motives. Now, years later, this group has separated themselves as above everyone else. By forming an externalized religion, conformity to the law that became That became the goal of their existence. It was not so much a heart for God, but a love and devotion to the laws that they adopted and enforced. They were generally from middle class, lay people, businessmen from the community. In their zeal to obey the law, they became worshippers of the law, rather than worshippers of God. Some of their laws were so extreme that fear had replaced joy. One such law was this, that a woman was not permitted to look into a mirror on the Sabbath. 
Does that sound strange? <clears throat> the reason for this, they feared that if a lady looked in the mirror, she might see a gray hair, and she might be inclined to pluck it, and that would constitute working on the Sabbath, breaking the law. Nicodemus was a staunch follower of this Salvation by Works party. In fact, he held a prominent role as ruler of the Jews. So in all his prestige, in the community he was, he is, shall we say, afraid or ashamed to be seen with Christ, who has a very different view of the law. Therefore, he goes out under the cover of darkness to meet Jesus. As Matthew Henry correctly states, when religion is out of fashion, there are many Nicodemites. That is, there are a great many who are ashamed of Christ and being affiliated with him. <clears throat> when one does things under the cover of darkness, is because we don't want our friends and families or co-workers to know what we're up to. It could be said that what Nicodemus feared was if others saw him visiting Jesus, they might think, they might assume that he wanted to be a disciple of Jesus. Well, this was most definitely not in Nicodemus' agenda. In this situation with Nicodemus and Christ, there is just reasons why this encounter was at night. You see, there's one detail that is overlooked, but it is very significant. Nicodemus, as a ruler of the Jews, was a member of the Sanhedrin. So Jesus' visit with Nicodemus would likely have ripples in the Sanhedrin. These folks most definitely did not like Jesus. And if things went badly there, once they found out, Nicodemus could lose his high-ranking position. But even worse, he could lose his very life. Nicodemus, as he's with Jesus, starts off by honoring Jesus with his first words, Rabbi, which is master or teacher. He is recognizing that Jesus does have something special. <clears throat> this is no ordinary man. There is something different about him. Nicodemus has seen some signs and heard some teachings that had an impact, and it made an impression on him. Nicodemus, in his opening dialogue, says, We know, showing that he's not the only one to come to these conclusions. We know that you are from God, because no one could do the things you do if God were not with him. He's using the reports as evidence that these things are from God, and that he is not alone in this realization. And he gives us the impression that he did not make this visit solely on his own accord. Yet whether he's referring to other Sanhedrin members or fellow Jews is not clear. But what is clear is that the words and the wonders of Jesus have not gone unnoticed. As we move through the passage, we see Jesus responding to a question 
that is actually never asked. The answer he gives is, unless a person is born again or born from above, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The unspoken question, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus makes it clear that it is not something that we do. It is not something that can be achieved on merit or on membership. Congregation, did you choose to be born? In the same way we do not have a choice in our physical birth, so too our spiritual birth is not dependent on merit, whether or not we have lived a good life, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Being born again, being born of the Spirit. Calvin describes being born again as not the amendment of a part, but the renewal of the whole nature. Hence it follows that there is nothing that is not defective or total depravity. Our whole sinful selves need to be renewed, need to be born again. Being told he must be born again brings about Nicodemus' first question. How can one be born again when he is old? How can he experience birth again? Surely he cannot enter his mother's womb a second time. Nicodemus is clearly thinking in human terms. <clears throat> and of course we recognize and we know now Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms, telling him that in order to see the, see the kingdom of God, a person must be born from above. In short, it is that the spirit must implant life that has its origins in heaven, not on earth. In essence, Nicodemus is looking for a quick fix. What must I do to earn eternal life? Kind of a spiritual report card. Did I pass or did I fail? In the same way, the rich young ruler in Matthew 16 asked Jesus, What good thing must I do to gain or earn eternal life? He also wanted a checklist answer. Kind of done that, now I can move on. Now I can move on to bigger and better things. Spiritual birth is something the believer undergoes, not something he or she produces. Being born again or being born of the Spirit is not something we can muster up on our own. It is something that must be done for us. Just as our efforts have nothing to do with our natural birth, so too spiritual renewal is not a work of ours. For Nicodemus, this is a tremendous blow. Being a Jew, he realizes, meant nothing. Being a Pharisee, also no eternal value. Same thing with membership in the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus is still locked in on physical birth. So Jesus explains to him that even if one could be born again physically, it would be futile 
as flesh gives birth to flesh. You see, you still would be a fallen creature steeped in sin. Same predicament you are now in. How can something that is unclean, unholy, give birth to something that is clean, pure, and holy? Only through the Spirit can He and we as well receive a spiritual birth. Only the Spirit of God can produce spiritual birth. Likely, Nicodemus's head is spinning. This is all new. This is mind-blowing information to him. As we read this, some have supposed that the wind may have been blowing that night, that Nicodemus is visiting Jesus. And as Nicodemus' head is spinning in confusion, not sure, maybe a bit confused about a great deal of things, So Jesus uses the wind as a concrete example that Nicodemus can comprehend. Just as no one knows where the wind comes from, Jesus says, and he is not speaking east to west blowing, he is speaking where it originates. Just like no one knows where the wind comes from, Jesus says, we may see the effects of the wind, but not its origin. Not saying that the Holy Spirit is random, but rather that the work of the Holy Spirit is concealed. We don't see the wind, but we do see the effects of the wind. So too with the work of the Holy Spirit. The effects of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are evident in a changed life. Nicodemus shows his lack of spiritual understanding by uttering his next question. How can this be? My commentary, it says, it must have been very difficult to unlearn what he had always believed. And he continues to utter the same phrase, how can this be? Something like a young child may drive us crazy by saying, why, why, why? Jesus rebukes Nicodemus with the words, you are the teacher of Israel, indicating how highly esteemed Nicodemus really is. But at the same time, almost a shock that as a teacher, Nicodemus seems unaware of the Spirit's work of conviction of sin and drawing mankind to himself. It is like a common man would be excused for his lack of understanding, but not one with an esteemed place within the Sanhedrin, not one who has been so well-versed in Old Testament doctrine. Jesus has been with Nicodemus for a bit now, instructing him, But we see from Nicodemus' reaction to Jesus' comments about the Spirit's role in regeneration of man that he does not yet get it. Jesus adds that if he cannot understand earthly things, well then, how possibly could he understand, could he comprehend heavenly things that are taught? Speaking of heavenly things, in order to truly know heavenly secrets, One must possess first-hand knowledge. And as Jesus says, the only one who has that first-hand knowledge is the one who descended from there, he himself. As John MacArthur states, only he, that is Jesus, had his permanent abode in heavenly prior 
in heaven prior to his incarnation. And therefore, only he has true knowledge of heavenly wisdom. It is at this point that Jesus bridges Old Testament with the current times for Nicodemus, who is well-schooled in the Pentateuch. Jesus refers to an account of, in Numbers 21, starting at verse 4. The Israelites traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So also says Jesus, the Son of Man will be lifted up, and all who turn to him will be saved. There are four commonalities we draw from this example of Jesus. One, in both cases, death threatens as a punishment for sin. Two, in both cases, it is God himself in his sovereign grace, who provides a remedy. Three, in both cases, this remedy consists of something or someone who must be lifted up in public view. And four, in both cases, when, when those who, with a believing heart, look unto what or who is lifted, they are healed. As a Pharisee, as a teacher and leader among the Jews. This is a story that Nicodemus would be very acquainted with. He would know this story, this account of God's faithfulness, this account of God's saving grace, and he would know it very well. In Matthew thirteen forty four, we read, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. When we think of this passage, we may come up to the erroneous conclusion that we can earn this if we sell all we have. And if we sell it all, we can possess eternal life. Well, this is not far from where Nicodemus or the rich young ruler were, as well as others who have asked, What good thing must I do to get, to earn eternal life? But we should be looking instead in the realms of, if I have been born again and will enter the kingdom of heaven, nothing else matters. While I may not have much money or possessions, I really do have it all. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. 
and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So after all Nicodemus's discussion with Jesus, John 3.22 concludes with Jesus and his disciples going out to the Judean countryside. It seems like a bit of a letdown. No real outcome. No commitment from Nicodemus. But also no rejection of Christ by him. Nothing. But. But there is a rest of the story. Later on in John 7, Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. And the Pharisees send out the temple guards to arrest Jesus. But the guards do not. Because of Jesus' teaching, they said, no one has ever spoken like this. Jesus has. As the Pharisees are questioning them, Nicodemus finds his voice and steps up and defends Jesus, asserting that investigation must happen before arrests can be made. This man who employed the cover of darkness to speak to Jesus now steps out of the shadows and actually defends Jesus. Also, after the crucifixion of Christ, it was Nicodemus with Joseph of Arimathea who prepared the body of Jesus for burial. At a time when Jesus' disciples are hiding out in fear, fear from their lives from the Pharisees, this Pharisee is no longer sneaking out in the dark. He is now risking his very life for Jesus Christ. This man, most definitely, is not afraid. He is not, <coughs> excuse me, he is not ashamed of Christ. This searching servant has found true faith. You know, folks, when we look at Nicodemus, we often give him a bad rap. We'll focus on the fact that he comes to Jesus when no one's watching. Some might even have called him a closet believer. Not sure that's really fair. And even if it is, I'm quite safe to say he's not the only one. I start off by telling you how I was ashamed of the word Christian and would mumble when I told what school I went to. How many of us Work in a company and have co-workers who don't even realize that we're believers. What about our neighbors? Do they know where our hope lies? Young people, do your unbelieving friends know where you go on Sundays, on Sunday mornings, or Tuesday nights? Or do they just know that you are unavailable? Do they refrain from telling you off-color jokes? Because they know that you'll be offended? Nicodemus, for all his faults, was a religious leader in his community. He was a teacher. And while he may have been afraid of reaction from his peers over associating with Jesus, he did see that something was going on. He witnessed or he heard accounts of the deeds Jesus was doing. And unlike many of the leaders who proclaimed that Jesus was demon-possessed, Nicodemus recognized these things could only be done through God. 
In fact, he says, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he seeks out Jesus to find out more. When I think of Nicodemus now, I think of him as a searching servant. How can we be like Nicodemus and also searching servants? Well, God has promised us that when we seek him, it will not be a futile effort. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, through Moses, God promises the Israelites and us as well with these words. But if from there, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, may each one of us do likewise. Amen. Let's pray.